I would like you to do us a favor. So said President Trump to the president of Ukraine on July 25th, 2019, words that will forever be memorialized as an iconic moment of his tenure as the highest office holder in the land. The favor was crystal clear. Trump wanted the Ukrainian government to revive an investigation into an energy company linked to the son of former Vice President Biden, a potential opponent in next year's presidential election. It was a stunning request, all the more so because, according to a newly released whistleblower complaint, the president had just suspended military aid to the Ukrainians desperately fighting Russian aggression. Had the quid just been introduced to the quo? Do the Democrats now have the ammunition to actually impeach the president? Or have they once more overshot their mark? We'll discuss on this episode of Skullduggery. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. Well, quite the week, Clydman. <laughs> uh, sort of made to order for skullduggery. And uh, we've got the perfect guest to help us dissect it. Ellie Honig, former federal prosecutor and uh, CNN legal analyst. Uh, Ellie, welcome back to Skullduggery. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back with you in a glass truck, apparently, or oh, something. Oh, yes. I should point out we are in a uh, glass booth outside the corner of 68th and Broadway in New York City, where Advertising Week is taking on. And if you're wondering why we're here, ACAST, which is our partner in Skullduggery, has sponsored this booth and uh, has invited us to uh, do the show. We're actually literally on broadcasting the on the street on Broadway. So, Isakoff, right. you may have a chance to actually <laughs> start a riot. Well, uh, uh, yes. And I see uh, people wa wandering down the street. They'll no doubt want to listen to what we have to say, but there's a lot to talk about. Look, just in the last 24 hours, we've got the release of that transcript of the president's uh, phone call with uh, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. We got this morning the release of the whistleblower complaint with some really striking new details. And we had uh, Admiral McGuire, the director of national intelligence, being questioned by the House Intelligence Committee. L.A., let's start out with you. What is your takeaway at this moment? Well, the big takeaway from the, the whistleblower complaint, I, two First of all, now we have the cover-up to go with the crime, right? The fact that they were taking memos relating to the president's conversations and sort of secreting them on a separate server where they were not ordinarily supposed to be is a big deal. And second of all, just the extent of Rudy Giuliani's involvement in all this. And I know Rudy Giuliani has become this almost clown-like figure that people roll their eyes at and laugh at, but he is in the middle of this. And, we, and I think it's very telling to this whole thing that the president was using a private citizen, his personal attorney, to contact the Ukrainian officials to try to get dirt on Joe Biden. This is a 
personal political mission by the president. But big picture, when you look at the phone call, and I think mm -hmm. the phone call is really the crux of the matter. When I saw that transcript yesterday, I thought, I, what is happening here? Why did they release this? And how did anybody advise Donald Trump, you should put this out there? This will be good for you. I think it is incredibly damning. I think there's enough in that phone call itself. I know it's a transcript or summary, but to justify potentially criminal charges and even if not criminal charges, impeachment based on abuse of power. All right, well, let's step back and let's look at those potential criminal charges, because as we know, this actually was referred to the Justice Department. And right. The head of the criminal division of the Justice Department determined that there was no crime committed. What they were looking into was a campaign, a, uh, an illegal campaign contribution. What is your view of the Justice Department's conclusion? Well, first of all, it's not clear they determined anything after an, any type of investigation, rather than just sort of summarily. Well, they said it didn't it. even rise to the right. level of an investigation. They, they right. reviewed the complaint and determined it exactly. was not, there was no criminal violation there. And I should point out that I think the criminal violation they were looking at is solicitation of a foreign, foreign campaign contribution. Yeah, so, so it was a pretty summary dismissal. It's not as if they went and did some sort of investigation. Look, it's first of all, it's a Bill Barr special. I mean, when- Do we know that Barr was uh, involved? I know, but I I refer to it that supposedly as the Bill Barr. It's division. a Bill Barr DOJ special, and if I had to bet on whether Bill Barr laid eyes on a complaint having to do with the president of the United States, I mean it would be malfeasance for someone in DOJ to make that decision without raising it up the chain. Well, for the record, the yeah. Justice Department did say that all components of the department that looked at this agreed, and that it was career prosecutors yeah. uh, in the public integrity section. Yeah, well, they all fell in line. Look. They're wrong as a matter of law. The whole hook here, the whole hook that DOJ seized on to not even take a look into this case is this idea of thing of value. So right. it is a federal crime to attempt to get, to solicit, to ask for foreign election aid, anything of value in connection with an election. And what DOJ has concluded is, well, this would not be a thing of value. That's a ridiculous Common sense. That is a well, ridiculous. What, 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 well, but a what, thing of value has a thing no. of value has a particular meaning. It is yeah. not just something that is valuable. A thing of value is something that is quantifiable. Presumably, well, something that can that quantifiable in a monetary sense. So, two things: you don't have to be able to put a specific price tag on things. There are plenty of plenty of things that are plenty valuable that there's no particular price tag on. And second of all, the standard here is like de minimis. Like it, it has to be just worth. Again, there's no particular monetary value, but even some bare minimum of value is sufficient. I mean, this is oppo research. This is the yeah. stuff that but, campaigns but, but, but pay it, thousands it, of dollars exactly. for. Exactly. But, but if you can't quantify what that thing of value is, you don't know whether it's $5 in value or $5 million in yeah, value. But, uh, so yeah. how do you make a case when you can't even put a number on what the value is? That's yep. number one. Yep. And number two, what he was asking and this is, by the way, not a defense of what Trump has done here yeah. at all, because it's clearly that the uh, request itself is a potential of abuse of power for impeachment purposes. But for criminal uh, violation purposes, he's asking for an investigation. The investigation could take place and, and no charges could be brought and nothing uh, about Biden comes up at all, in which case the right. thing of value is zero. So, you, so how yep. do you, just based on this conversation, conclude that there is a solicitation of a thing of yep. value from uh, the Ukrainian president? So again, you don't need to be able to slap a price tag on a thing for it to be a thing of value. Otherwise, that would 
exclude a lot of very valuable things. And look, it's common sense. Look how much money campaigns spend on this stuff. And I'll get to your other point on oppo research. I mean, it's thousands and thousands of dollars. I don't know if I was to try this case, maybe I'd be a wise guy and call some standard legal oppo research firm and say, how much would you charge for just a standard review of your your client's political opponent? And they'd say $10,000, $20,000. I mean, there's no question this has some value. Can you put a price tag on it? Not necessarily. Do you have to? No. And it's a cop-out. To bring a, to bring a case, one would think you've right. got to put right, well, figure on it. But look, I, to me, yeah. what strikes, especially after reading the whistleblowers, complaint, yep. because DOJ, in the, in the OLC memo, they and analyze, say they've analyzed it as a campaign finance violation. Mm-hmm. The whistleblower did not allege a campaign finance violation. What no. he alleged was a series of facts. Right. And it seems to me that there are other criminal statutes that might be implicated, especially when you read the very last page of that whistleblower complaint in the, um, in the classified uh, annex, which says that on July 18th, which is about which is exactly a week before the phone call, OMB uh, officials informed department and agencies that the president earlier that month had issued instructions to suspend all U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. Right. So the president has directly held up the money, then asks for a favor. I don't know, extortion? Yeah. Um, so you, know, what, you tell me, uh, right. criminal former prosecutor. Obviously, again, yeah. with, with the proviso that we don't have all the facts, but based on the phone call alone... Yeah. I think you have a good basis for bribery and extortion here. And think think of them as sort of the, the flip, flip sides of the same coin, right? Bribery right. is essentially, if you do this wrong thing that I want, I will give you some benefit. Extortion is, if you don't do this wrong thing that I want, I will punish you in some way. And so the withholding or, or the, the, the promise of foreign aid here is what really drives it, right? And it's really spelled out surprisingly clearly in the phone call. I mean, the president almost lays out the quid pro quo. There's some of the president's defenders are out there saying no quid pro quo. I don't know. I I see one here. I mean, look, and short, by the way, short like, of saying, let me propose the following quid pro quo to you, this is right. about as close and as you'll you ever get. And you have prosecuted these kinds of cases, and, yes. and presumably in most cases, the defendants, the criminals, don't actually lay out you know the details of their crime in in a in a memo, I right? Mean, right. I mean, right. So or a phone call that you have or a, phone a, call. a record, uh, some sort of recordation of. But I mean, if you look at this phone call, let, let, let me just sort of walk through what I see as as the key points. So the president, and let's remember, the president is holding in his hands hundreds of millions of dollars of foreign aid that Ukraine needs to defend itself to uh, from Russian aggression. Right. So we have the powerful party, the United States, that holds the money. We have the supplicant that needs the money. Right. And the president says. The United States has been very, very good to Ukraine. And he also says, I wouldn't say it's reciprocal necessarily. So common sense, what's he saying? He's saying, mm-hmm. we've taken care of you. You haven't really taken care of us, though. It's not reciprocal. We're on a little bit of uneven footing here. And then the president uh, of Ukraine says, I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next step. Specifically, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. So the president's saying, thank you. We need your support. We're almost ready to, for some more. We really appreciate it. And then this is, to me, is, is the most important line in the whole thing. The president, Donald Trump, says, I would like you to do us a favor, though. I mean, that line, I would like you to do us a favor, though. And by the way, the word though matters yeah. there, yeah. right? That's I, I however. that out in the intro. Right? I mean, right. what if instead yes. of, I would like you to do a favor, though, he said, however, I would like you to do us a favor. That's what he's saying there. And that, that means we're exchanging. These ideas are related. The favor 
is related to what we were just talking about, the so defense here's, so, spending. So here's a question. Michael Atkinson, the inspector general for yep. the intelligence community, who referred the whistleblower complaint to the Justice Department, a, a criminal referral, I guess he explicitly... Did he ask for this to be to, for this uh, campaign finance violation to be investigated? I mean, he is a an experienced. We don't pro- know that, yeah. and, and there's, but, no, there's I mean, nothing in so, the whistleblower complaint itself, right? That speaks to but that. he, yeah. it, what, what's interesting and has not been noted a lot, Atkinson is a very experienced former federal prosecutor in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington in the fraud mm-hmm. section. He spent. I think more than a decade at the Justice Department. So he must have looked at this very carefully, and he must have concluded there are potential criminal violations, serious ones, otherwise he wouldn't have referred it. Should the Justice Department have gone beyond the campaign finance violation and specifically looked at bribery statutes? Oh, of course. I mean, it is not the job of the person who's sending a referral, whether they're a former prosecutor or not, to specify, I'd I'd like to refer this case and the following statutes. I mean, they're free to do that. But as the prosecutor, your job is to just look at all the facts and you decide what statutes may apply. I mean, I've gotten more referrals than I can count between my years as a federal and state prosecutor. And a lot of times they're nonsense and garbage and you just can give them a quick look and, and file them away. Right. But it's your job to go through the al- allegations and decide, are there any statutes right. now that you, apply here? You brought up Giuliani before. Yeah. And uh, you know one thing that you're hearing Democrats throw around regarding Giuliani is he's out having all these meetings with Ukrainian officials and negotiating with them, and they're saying he potentially has violated the Logan Act, which is a, a criminal statute that has almost never been enforced. Can Although we sort of dismiss that as, yes. a, as an mean, actual... At, first of all, he's acting as an emissary of the President of the United States, so that puts him in, a, for Logan Act purposes, puts him yeah. in a little different category right. than you, know, you and the, I trying to So that to seems far-fetched, doesn't policy. it, Ellie? Yeah, I, I, I mean... That's not your cleanest shot at Rudy Giuliani, put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But let me, uh, you know, there's another item in the classified appendix of Mm -hmm. the whistleblower complaint that's worth talking about, which is, according to multiple White House officials I spoke with, the transcript of the president's call with President Zelensky was placed into a computer system managed directly by the National Security Council Directorate for Intelligence Programs. This is a standalone computer system reserved for code word level intelligence information such as covert action. Uh, And apparently this was done after officials voiced concerns that this would be an abuse of the system and was not consistent with the responsibilities for the uh, director of intelligence programs. Such an important fact. They're trying to bury it. I mean, there's no other way. That's that's I think is the most common sense reading of that. And that it matters, first of all, because like any good scandal. There's usually some cover-up aspect, but th- this is a common notion in our law. The, the legal term for it is consciousness of guilt, and it just reflects, I think, the common sense notion that if somebody's involved in lying, perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, hiding evidence, it means they have something to hide. You can A jury is allowed to look at that and, and assume some level of guilt or guilty knowledge. But what the president's lawyers will argue in any Senate trial, if, if we get to that, and we'll talk about that in, yeah. in, in a little bit, they will make the same point they made in their defense from the Mueller report, which right. is at the end of the day, the president did turn 
the document over. The White House did turn this whistleblower complaint over. It released it at the end of the day. It did cooperate in the Mueller's investigation. So it makes it harder to make this an obstruction case when, at the end of the day, they do cooperate with the congressional investigation. Well, right? cooperated after it all came out. Right. It's a little bit different than coming forward with well, it. Well, no, but, no, but they put yeah. it out. They put the transcript out. Okay, but the story that was, was there. That was there. And, and, and yeah. blowing up. Right. So, look, th that's a political calculation that they made. Maybe it was yeah, but a you're trying one. to convince a jury, in this case a jury of senators, you're trying to win over Republicans, yeah. and the argument is going to be made, no harm, no foul, because at the end of the day, you, you've got the documents. I suppose that's an argument. I think the, the It is an argument. Yeah, but the, the counter-argument I would make is wonderful, but they didn't do this until the story really started right. to bubble up in the media and people really started to ask serious, hard questions. Obviously, it was some attempt to, to tamp it down. So, yeah, okay, so this, argument is, they can make, this sure. is politically problematic because clearly they were, it looks like they were trying to deep six something that was right. going to be politically embarrassing to them. But yeah. they do have the right, don't they, uh, as you know, the executive branch of the government to put memos and files in more restrictive, you know, electronic mm -hmm. systems. I mean, that, what's yeah. wrong with that from a legal perspective? Well, no, it's not inherently illegal, but it was improper, according to the whistleblower, because the, the system that it was filed under was meant for covert operations, for code word level operations, for right. the highest level sort of and, uh, and, on and the and ground look, And operations. their defense will be, look, we, we, you know, we have had all these leaks about the president's phone calls with yep. the president of Mexico, with uh, people in Russia, with you know, other leaks, and we were trying to cut down on the leaks. You can't, the president has to be, have confidential phone calls with foreign leaders. Yeah, that, um, that'll be I, what they'll say. And I would ask, well, what other right. phone calls did you ever do that with? Right. Why this one? Yeah. No, I, I look, I think the significance of the whistleblower complaint, I mean, with these, first of all, these two details, I think are significant. The fact that the they did use a this special code word level intelligence silo for yep. the phone call and the fact that the president directed that the military aid be held up. I think those are very damning. And most significantly, it gives the House Intelligence Committee a roadmap for its investigation. 100%. Yep. Talk to all and these by White the House way, officials. Exactly, because the, because the whistleblower identified a really what a, about a dozen people who were there and who would have been witnesses to right. all of this. So and, those and, are and all witnesses who Mulvaney can... start with Mulvaney about right. you know, withholding the military aid. What, yep. what instructions did he get from the president? Look, hey, I guess yeah. it's convenient to have your acting chief of staff also be your head of uh, <laughs> OMB right. and control yeah. the money. <laughs> but the question is, how quickly are the Democrats going to move on this? Yeah. And uh, you know, can they sustain the momentum they've clearly got uh, right now? It's a great question. If I was advising House Democrats, I'd tell them, you, you have to move light speed here because you're going to lose the crowd and you got a, an election around the, the bend in 2020. I mean, if you look back at the Bill Clinton impeachment, they were on a somewhat similar timeline, right? The, the official inquiry was opened in October of 98. The actual impeachment vote in the House happened in December of 98, and then the trial and acquittal were January and February of 99. Now, they were one year prior to where we are on the electoral cycle. So I think House Democrats have to really be looking at the new year is if I'm in Nancy Pelosi's shoes, I'm thinking I need to get this in front of the full House articles of impeachment for an up or down impeachment vote by the new year. 
I'm, I'm wondering if that's too long. Uh, you know, three months uh, is a long time in news cycles. That's really the, two, though. News cycles me, we live in. Let me ask you this question, because you're an experienced prosecutor who yep. tried cases before juries. You have now watched the Democrats run this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Judiciary Committee, the Intel Committee, bring witnesses before their committee. Not a lot of fact witnesses, but some. How do you think they have performed so far? What would your advice be to them going forward? And I guess one question I have is, do they need to bring in a really heavy hitter kind of prosecutor type to sort of run this? So regarding the investigation following the Mueller uh, report and testimony, I think they've done an atrocious job. I think Jerry Nadler has horribly fumbled that. He's had that case for months and months. The only witness we've heard from publicly is Corey Lewandowski, who didn't answer questions he didn't feel like answering and told him to well, shove we it, we heard basically. from Mueller, but... But I'm talking about first-hand fact, yeah, witnesses. fact witnesses. I mean, they're moving at a glacial pace. They're getting stood up and stonewalled at every turn. They're only sporadically going into court and with no real sense of urgency. They're getting slow played to death. I think they were doing a terrible job up until this fell into their laps. Now, one thing that I think you can see is it looks like Nancy Pelosi is moving responsibility or impetus for this a little bit away from Nadler and judiciary and a little more towards Adam Schiff, former prosecutor himself, and the Intel Committee. Well, we had a story about this, and, right. and uh, Pelosi and I think her staff and people around her have thought that Nadler has done a pretty terrible job. There's and, a lot of tension there. And he's a bad messenger. He's just not a compelling speaker. You see him on TV, you see him behind the mic, and he seems unsure, and he seems like he's trying to remember some line or other. And Adam Schiff is better at that. Adam Schiff is a former prosecutor. He's, he's a stronger presence. He's a clearer speaker. And I should say... Oh, I thought, although I did think he fumbled a bit in, the, uh, in his opening with McGuire when he was reading what sounded yeah. like the president's words and he extrapolated and uh, did yeah. what he later described as a parody. Given the gravity of what's going on, Probably not a good idea for Schiff to be embellishing yeah. on what the words in the transcript actually say. Bottom fair line, yep. uh, is Trump going to be impeached? And when and uh, for yeah. what exactly? Bottom line, I do think Donald Trump will be impeached by the House of Representatives. Now, everyone, let's well, keep in mind, impeached yeah. does not that's, mean that's, removed. That's yeah. an indictment. Right? Big difference. It's an indictment. Right. It's I mean, but, articles. Uh, well, so here's a big question for the Democrats. I mean, I think, I think several articles, but let's call it Ukraine. I think he will be indicted for his conduct relating to Ukraine, abuse of power. Impeached. I'm sorry, impeached. Yes, let me backtrack. I think he will be impeached on potentially very, you know, they can break it down into as many articles as they want, but I think he will be impeached for Ukraine. One of the big questions that facing the Democrats is, how are you going to scope this thing? Are you going to include Mueller? Are you going to include Russia, obstruction of justice? Are you going to include emoluments? I mean, I think the best strategy is take your best shot here. As prosecutors sometimes say, go for the jugular, not every capillary. I think it's a little hard on principle to justify going after the Ukraine conduct, but sort of just giving all the Mueller stuff and the obstruction a total pass. But I think it's sounder strategy. There's a lot about this Ukraine conduct that makes it really speak to the American public. It's current. It's happening basically now. It's forward-looking, whereas Mueller is now feels like ancient history. It's two, three years ago. It's, it, it's Trump soliciting the help right. as opposed to being offered. There's direct contact. I mean, this is whole, when you heard no collusion, no collusion with Russia, this is the kind of right. thing you would thought right. if would you have took, ended that. If, yeah. if, if you took these facts, um, if this is this if this fact pattern emerged as part of the Russian investigation, oh. it would have been game over. If it was Putin instead of Zelensky, yeah. it would be right. game over. Right. So, well, so I would say, I think he, I think 
The House will impeach him. I think they will impeach him before the end of the new year. I still do not think he will be convicted and removed by the Senate. Yeah. But there are the very beginnings of inklings of maybe some Republicans asking well, questions. Well, I don't know, Mr. Goff. Maybe, maybe the Democrats need to hire Ellie Honig to, to prosecute their case. <laughs> Only if I could do it remotely from New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ellie, thanks for uh, joining us again on Skullduggery. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ellie. Thanks to former federal prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on SiriusXM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. And now you can watch the podcast on YahooNews.com, YouTube, and Roku. Saturdays and Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Talk to you soon.